Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Qalam Podcast. You're listening to the series on the sufficient answer, the cures for spiritual sicknesses delivered by Sheikh Mikael Smith. In this series, Sheikh Mikael will be covering a beautiful book authored by Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala titled Al-Jawab Al-Kafi in which he not only addresses the very common yet extremely difficult issues of spirituality, but he also addresses the philosophical crises that people suffer through. Sheikh Mikail will lead us through this book and bring forth very beautiful and beneficial discussions. So listen in, share with family and friends, and if you are benefiting from Qalam and everything that we provide here at the podcast and beyond, then please be a part of this solution be a part of this project of educating all of humanity by going to supportqalam.com, support Qalam yourself, and also share the link with family and friends. And now on to the lesson. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Salatu wassalam ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyyana wa Mawlana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wa hubba amalin yuqarribuna ila hubbik ya rabbil alameen Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-huda wa tuqa wa afafa wa al-ghina ya rabbil alameen Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-huda wa tuqa wa afafa wa al-ghina ya rabbil alameen Bismillah uh, So today is our uh, first class after a long break um, I think it was about three months, right? Uh, so we had quite a long break, um, so we're starting our Halakha series back up for every Wednesday night, inshallah ta'ala. And um, first I want to say welcome, we have a lot of new students from Qalam, alhamdulillah. Um, so, you know, local people, please introduce yourselves to them, meet them. A lot of them came from all over, different places around the country to come and study. You know, they're homesick, missing mom and dad, so you know, meet them inshallah ta'ala. Khair. But um, so tonight, inshallah, what we're going to begin, uh, tonight's going to be the first class of a book by Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi. Uh, for those who know our last halakha also, we focus on Ib- another book of Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, rahimahullah ta'ala. And I particularly uh, like this book a lot. The name of the book, there's actually two names. Uh, one of the names is Al-Jawab al-Kafi. Liman sa'ala an shafi The definition of that is, the jawab al-kafi, the sufficient answer, a, a reply that is uh, sufficient. Liman sa'ala and dawat al-shafi, for the one who's asking for a complete cure. And I'll explain why he named it that way, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, the other name that it's also known by is ad-dawat dawa, sickness and its cure. And so the, the, the reason why I chose this book is this entire book is actually the reply that he wrote to someone who asked him one question. Someone wrote one question to him, and we're going to read that question because that's how the book begins. Someone wrote one question to him, and as a reply to that question, he authored this entire book. That's why it's called Al-Jawab Al-Kafi, the sufficient reply or the sufficient answer. And, um, and when you see the question that's asked, 
right away, the question that the person asked, it resonated with my heart so much. It resonated with me so much, and you'll see why. And so many of us are caught up in different sins. We're caught up in different things that we want to get rid of, and we know that it's harmful to us. We know the negative effect that it has on us, but we can't shake it. We can't get rid of it. We can't get it off of us. And, and sometimes we lose hope. And the, the beautiful thing about our beloved Prophet Sallallahu is that he never allowed anyone around him to ever lose hope. He never allowed anyone to lose hope. And this is an attribute, a prophetic attribute that the people around you should never lose hope. If you see someone losing hope, then you got to jump in. You got to do something. You got to build their spirits back up. And that's what the Prophet Sallallahu always did. And the reason why he never let people lose hope this is important. The reason why he never let people lose hope, What's the verse? That no one loses hope except those who disbelieve. Hope is synonymous with our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you lose hope, you lose connection with Allah. When you lose hope, you're losing understanding or lacking understanding of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. So the Prophet ﷺ would never let people lose hope. And the question that's being asked here, you'll notice right away that this person asking the question is on the brink of losing hope. And Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi is like, I'm not going to let you lose hope. And he answers the question. The other reason I like this book is because um, it gives us an approach to healing and rectification of our situations. It gives us a method. An approach. It teaches us the approach of Ibn Qayyim al Jozi, who you know was born in in uh, 691 Hijri, and here we are, 1440 Hijri. But you'll see the wisdom coming page after page on how we rectify our state and how we address the problems that we go through, inshallah Taala. So um, my intention is to actually try our best to get through the entire book. Say inshallah, inshallah, and and as the scholars say, man basmala. I taught this to the students. Man basmala. Oh, subhanAllah. Man basmala khatama. Man basmala. What does that mean? Whoever starts and says bismillah, inshallah, khatama. So we start right now. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Su'ila shaykh al-imam al-alama Abu Abdullah Muhammad al-ma'roof bi ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi rahimahullah. He was asked. Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi was once asked. Now here's the question. What do the scholars say? What do they say? Regarding a person who has been afflicted with some hardship, some difficulty. Baliya here means some type of, we can tell by the question, some type of sin. That what do you say about a person who has been um, stuck in some type of sin. Ubtulia bibaliya. And baliya actually means like a calamity in Arabic language. It actually means a calamity. But the way that the believer re- recognized sin and how um, harmful it was to faith, that every sin that you were stuck in was considered a baliya, like something that was majorly harmful to my, my well being. So he says, Fi rajulin ubtulia bibaliya. What do the scholars say about a person? who's stuck in some baliya, some hardship. Wa'alima, and this person knows. Annaha, in istamarrat bihi afsadat alayhi dunyahu wa akhirahu. 
This person knows that if this sin, this hardship stays with that person, afsadat lahu dunya wal akhirah. It will destroy his entire dunya and entire akhirah. So this is very interesting. The person asking the question realizes that I'm stuck in some type of sin. I'm really stuck in some type of sin. And I know at the core of my heart that this sin will destroy my dunya, my, my, my life here, and it will destroy my akhirah for sure. He knows that. He already knows it. And how many of us, we know the sin. We know it. I already know the sin. Like, Imam, you don't got to tell me. I already know. But, I'm, I'm stuck in it. So he says, He says, and this person has tried every means, every kulli tariq, every means to do what? To stop this sin. He tried his best to stop this sin from himself. Everything. But nothing's worked. He says, but the more he stops trying to do it, the more he ends up doing it. So I read this and I'm like, like, looking over my shoulder like, this is me. Like, this is me. I can't get out of that sin. And what a question to ask. He goes, so what's the, what's the hila out? What's the, what's the trick out? What's the method for stopping this sin? What do I do? What's the method for kashfiha, wiping it away, getting it away? So then he goes, that's the end of the question, but look what he says next. He says, may Allah have mercy on the person who helps someone in affliction. May Allah have, so what is he doing here? He's trying to win over the, question, the, the, the one uh, he's asking the question to. He says, may Allah have mercy on the one who helps the one stuck in a sin. He drops a hadith on him too. And the hadith is, Allah is helping the abd, the servant, so long that the servant is helping somebody else. Scholars used to say, based on this hadith, whenever they would get stuck in something, they would stop doing that thing and then go find someone to help. Because as I go to help someone else, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is solving that problem that I'm stuck with. Allahu fi awn al-abdi ma'kan al-abdu fi awn yakhi. So psychologically we have to understand like the, the effect of helping other people and how that alleviates our own problems. Many of us when we get problems, we actually cut ourselves off from other people. And let me focus on this man, let me focus on this. But wallahi, I've, it's tried and tested. If you ever get stuck in like an emotional, mental situation, you'll notice at that time, it will happen that some people will come and ask you for help. And you're like, I'm stuck myself. How am I going to help this person? But wallahi, if you give that help to that person, you'll see that, that fatah rabbani, they say, the opening from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begin to help you with your problem. So uh, it's beautiful that the Prophet ﷺ taught us that. So the person asking the question is saying to Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi that, yo, if you help me out, Allah is helping you. Now Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi knows this hadith. But he's using this hadith to win him over. So he said, Aftona ma'jureen, rahimakumullah. He's like, you give me the answer, Allah will reward you, inshaAllah. InshaAllah, rahimakumullah. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon you. So before we go into the book, that's the question, the entire book. Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi is answering our situation on how to get out of these things that are ruining our dunya and ruining our akhirah, but we just don't know how to get out of them. That's what the entire book is about. Fahimtum, insha'Allah. Fa'ajaba Shaykh. Any questions? Sayyid. Fa'ajaba Shaykh, rahimahullah. Alhamdulillah. First thing, he starts off, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Why does he start off with Alhamdulillah? Because there's a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said that everything that, that which does not begin with Alhamdulillah, aqta, is incomplete before it even starts. The name of Allah at the beginning of everything, there's barakah in that. Some of the, awliya, some of the scholars, they say you can become a wali of Allah, just say Bismillah before you do anything. Before you do anything, just say Bismillah. And the beauty of that is, well, you're about, if you're something makroo or haram, you're not going to say Bismillah. So it's kind of like, yo, I'm about to, uh, I can't say Bismillah, so just let me back up. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You're not going to pick up the phone and be like, yeah, no, I'm just going to stop. Because you can't say Bismillah. So use that Bismillah, and that Bismillah will be the judge. Should I do this action? Bismillah, I'm about to read. All right, cool. Bismillah, I'm about to call mom. Bismillah. Nashad, Bismillah, I'm about to call. Uh, no, nah, I can't call it. Uh-uh. Let me hang that phone up right now. You better say, A'udhu Billah. That's what we need to say. <laughs> so look, so he says, Alhamdulillah. He starts off, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And another thing here, Alhamdulillah ala kulli hal. Whatever your state may be, Alhamdulillah. Then he says, Amma ba'd. فَقَدَ ثَبَتَ فِي سَحِيلِ Bukhari. It comes in Sahih Bukhari. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu narrates. This is one of my favorite hadith. عَنَ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ قَالْ مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ دَا إِلَّا أَنزَلَ لَهُ شِفَاهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What I want you to reflect on is the way he begins his response to this deep question. He says, the Prophet said, the hadith is in Sahih Bukhari, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not sent down any disease, any sickness. Except that he sent with that disease the, the cure as well. It's very interesting hadith. Let me read a few more of them. Then he says, وَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لِكُلِّ دَا دَوَى For every disease there is a cure. فَإِذَا أُصِيبَ الدَّوَى When the cure, the medicine hits the da, varia, The person becomes healed. بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And in Muslim Ahmed, another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمْ يَنْزِلْ دَاءً Allah did not allow any sickness to come down. إِلَّا أَنزَلَ لَهُ shifa, Except that he sent the cure with it. عَلِمَ مَنْ عَلِمَ Those who know, know. وَجَهِلَ مَنْ جَهِلَ Those who are ignorant of it don't know. Beautiful. And then he said, إِلَّا دَا wahid, Except one sickness, there's no cure for it. قَالُوا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ مَا هُوَ قَالَ الْحَرَمْ Old age. Can't help it, bruh. No cure. There's no spring of fountain of youth hidden in some valley somewhere. Uh-uh. Prophesied some said there's one thing, there's no cure to it. Haram. 
old age. It's coming. So look what he says, though. Now, this is the key. Remember the original question? Ahmed, what was the original question? Oh, there's two Ahmeds right in a row. My bad. Ahmed Arlington, my bad. The ibtila, I'm stuck in a sin. So my question, brothers and sisters, why is he talking about cures of sicknesses and diseases? Look what he says. He says, this hadith that no disease comes down except that there's a cure, this is encompassing both diseases of the heart, diseases of the soul, and diseases of the body as well. He says, this hadith is not about you know, cancer only, or flu, or like, no, this is about sicknesses of all types. Now, the beautiful thing about Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, he always shows the symmetry between uh, the body and the ruh. And in another book he has called Igathatul uh, Lahfan, he actually says, uh, and, and it's probably going to come later, I don't want to ruin the book before it comes, but he actually says the same medical treatment used to keep a body healthy is the exact same medical treatment you use to keep that heart healthy as well. The exact same method. It's very interesting. We'll talk about it, inshallah. So the reason he's saying this, now he gives some examples. Now listen to these examples. He says, فَقَدَ جَعَلَ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ جَهْلُ He says the Prophet, now example number one. He says the Prophet Sallallahu has, has categorized ignorance, jahl, as a da, as a disease. وَجَعَلَ دَوَاءَهُ What was the dawa? What was the, the cure for that he made? Who knows this one? What's the cure that the Prophet Sallallahu assigned for the da or the, the disease of jahl, ignorance? Yes, it's asking. It's asking those who know. The Prophet ﷺ, he says here, he says, Asking the people of knowledge. That's the cure for it. Now, he, ter- he tells a very long hadith, which is really interesting. I'm going to paraphrase the hadith for lack of time. So the hadith he narrates is from Abu Dawood. And what happened is, Jabir bin Abdullah radiallahu an, he narrates that um, a group of Sahaba were traveling. A group of Sahaba were traveling. And... Um, one of the brothers in the group got hit in the head with a rock. And he got a really bad gash on the top of his head. Um, and that night, when he went to sleep, he happened to have a wet dream. So now, he's in the state of Janaba, and he has to take a bath, right? We all know that hukum, or the ruling, right? So he has to take a bath. So when he wakes up in the morning, he has to take a bath. Actually, we just studied this in like Hidayah today. <laughs> Like yeah, in Qalam in second year, we just were studying this today. But anyways, so uh, he had to take a bath in the morning. So when he wakes up in the morning, now he has this bad cut on his head. He asks everyone. He goes, uh, you know, he's like, Atajiruli ruqsa fit tayammam? He's like, yo, you guys think I could do tayammam? Is there ruqsa for me to do tayammam? Do dry evolution, dry wudu? So like, they're like, nah, yo. There's water here. You can't do tayammum. Right? He goes, all right. He does wudu, he dies. He does wudu, he dies. When the Prophet ﷺ found out, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, قَتَلُوهُ You killed the man. قَتَلُوهُ قَتَلُوهُ قَتَلَهُمُ Allah. May Allah kill you as well. He was very angry. He goes, أَلَا سَأَلُوا إِذَا لَمْ يَعْلَمُوا 
He's like, why don't you ask if you don't know something? And, and subhanAllah, and then he goes, إِنَّمَا شِفَاءُ السُؤَالِ Indeed, the cure for ignorance is to ask questions. And subhanAllah, and then he says, إِنَّمَا يَكْفِيهِ He could have did tayammum, he would have been fine. But this is a major problem today of people speaking about things that they don't know anything about. And social media has just created this platform where you can speak on anything you want and we can't differentiate between expert or, you know, sophomore or, or whatever. But everyone has this platform to speak. And the Prophet ﷺ is teaching that you can cause major, you can, there's an Arabic saying, لو, لو If just the people who didn't know were quiet, there'd be no more differences of opinion. There'll be no more arguments. If only the people who don't know just stay quiet, there'll be no more argumentation going on. SubhanAllah. So in this hadith, I just wanted to highlight that this is a major problem we see. And we think it's bad to say, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Imam Malik, someone came to him from a very far place, Andalus. Someone came from Andalus, like far, to ask him questions. A list of questions. He's like, La Adri, La Adri, La Adri, La Adri. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Me and you, we'd be like, you know what, I, I think. Um, so if you ask me, uh, <laughs> like, who are you, dude? You didn't even study this. You don't have knowledge in this. Just say, I don't know. But and there's nothing wrong with admitting ignorance. The Prophet ﷺ, in fact, said the opposite. Nisful ilm. Half of ilm is, I don't know. Half of knowledge is, I don't know. And what I was talking to some of the Qalam students about in our orientation was like, true knowledge is when you start to realize how ignorant you actually are. True knowledge actually exposes to you what you don't know. Right? And that's why I say ignorance is bliss. Because it feels good. You think you know everything because you know nothing. Khair, inshallah. The point here is, what is the point of this? Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, the main point at this section is he's trying to tell us that everything has a shifa. And, and, and the shifa of ignorance, which is a major problem, is asking and learning and going to people of knowledge. So then he continues forward. Any questions about what we just, the narration we just did? Any questions about that? Yeah, Khalid. Credentials. Credentials. So like, how do you, the question is, for those online, the question is, how do you identify people, experts in fields? And, 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 and in a time of extreme autodiadacy, where everyone's just learning on their own, it's kind of circular logic, but experts know experts. You know what I'm saying? Like, a good doctor knows other doctors. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like you have to ask a doctor, hey, do you know any specialists in this field? And they go, oh, yeah, I know such and such. He's good for you know, pediatrics or something. right? So one thing is credentials. Like, where'd you get your knowledge from? And, and, and subhanAllah, we're studying mustalah hadith. And one of the things they used to say in the beginning was, sammu rijalakum. Right? Now, sammu rijalakum is like, who'd you learn from? Where'd you get the knowledge you got? Did you do like two years of like some course and now you want to do surgery on my deen? Now think about what I just said. 
You did like two years undergrad and you trying to do surgery on my religion. <laughs> you wouldn't let a surgeon with two years touch you. You'd be like, you ain't a surgeon, bro. You, ain't, you, you don't have, don't touch my body. But you'll let them cut up your dean real quick and ask them all these questions. Is this halal? Is this haram? Okay. No credentials. Doing surgery on your dean. SubhanAllah. So great question. Uh, you have to ask other scholars. You have to ask other scholars. And you have to look for credentials as well. And nowadays with you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, like we just click on somebody and watch. I know some people watching right now. I mean, you can check my credentials if you want. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, they like uh, should we keep watching this dude? Like, they kind of just discredited himself. No, you, you should have access to know where a person learned from. And they should be very transparent about the number of years they spent directly under the tutelage of someone. Don't tell me what books you read, because I can read a lot of books. Tell me how much time you spent directly under the tutelage and what credentials you have. And then I might let you do surgery on my dean. Khair, <laughs> inshallah. So let's go forward. Any other questions? Very important question. Ahsan. قَدْ أَخْبَرَ سُبْحَانُهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ عَنِ الْقُرْآنِ أَنَّهُ For the next, three page, or next page and a half, he goes to the next cure. And he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that one of the most beneficial, if not the most beneficial shifa is the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Fussilat, ayah number 44 of Surah Fussilat, كُلْ هُوَ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا هُدًا وَشِفَا Indeed it, the Qur'an, لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا هُدَى Guidance, وَشِفَا and cure. In another verse, Surah Isra, verse number 82, وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ الشِفَا And we have sent down from the Qur'an that which is a cure. وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ A cure and a rahmah, mercy for the believers. And then he says, فَإِنَّ الْقُرْآنِ كُلُّهُ shifa. The Qur'an is a type of, of cure for, for spiritual and physical diseases. He says, فَهُوَ shifa." Pay attention to this. What is it a shifa for? مِنْ jahl, The sickness of ignorance. Number two, shak, The sickness of doubt. Number three, Rayb, another form of doubt as well. فَلَمْ يَنْزَلَ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانُهُ وَتَعَالَى مِنَ السَّمَاءِ شِفَاءَ قَدْتُ أَعَمْ وَلَا أَنْفَعْ وَلَا أَعْضَمْ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ He says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not sent down any cure that is more anfa, beneficial, more general, more comprehensive than the Qur'an itself. So he tells this uh, hadith, this story from hadith, I'll paraphrase for you. Um, there was a group of sahaba that were traveling together. Um, and nighttime came, and they needed somewhere to uh, like someone to host them. They needed someone to host them. So they stopped at this village, and the people there did not host them. They're like, no, no, we don't have nothing for y'all. So they had to stay like outside of the village and just stay there for the night, and they had nothing. So in the middle of the night, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, they, they rushed to... Uh, the Sahaba. And they're like, we need your help, we need your help, we need your help. They're like, what happened? They're like, our, the leader of our clan, our tribe, he got bit by a snake or a scorpion or something, something poisonous. And we've tried everything possible, but we can't give him shifa. We can't help him. Does any of you know like any ruqya or something? 
Like, can you do something? So one of the Sahaba is like, I got you, but you're going to have to pay up. This hadith is in Sahih uh, Abu Dawood, I believe. Naam. Naam, Abu Dawood. Thabata fi Sahih. He goes, yes, no problem. You got to pay like you weigh, as they say, right? East Coast. They don't know this East Coast slang, y'all. I'm struggling here with the Texas folks, man. They don't understand the East Coast slang, man. Anyways, okay. Isa, yo, we got to take you to the East Coast, man. <laughs> okay, so, so, he, so this is so interesting. The Sahabi's like, I will give your leader this ruqya. Hey. So they're like, okay, uh, you know, whatever. We'll pay it up. He's like, all right, we want this whole herd of sheep right here. They're like, all right, no problem. You got it. So he goes over to him and he recites Surah Fatiha. He recites it with ikhlas and sincerity. Begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put shifa in it. And he blows it on him. And, he, and the, the hadith says it was like he was just let out of chains. And he was perfectly fine. He got up. And he was perfectly fine. He was okay. He just walked away. And they're happy, whatever. And they paid up. So the moment they paid them, so the hadith from Talaqa Yamshi, the man, the leader got up. He's fine. He started walking off. And there was no problem with him. So they, they gave him the money. Now listen to this. Some of them are like, like, yo, split up the sheep, yo. Some of the sahaba, they're like, yo, split up the sheep. And the one who did ruqya, he says, لا, لا نفعلوا حتى نعطي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ونذكره ما كان فننظر ما يأمرنا. Look, the one who did the ruqya, he goes, no. We're going to go back to the Prophet We're going to tell him what happened. Look at the, he doesn't want to act out of ignorance. The one who actually did it doesn't want to take the, the money without asking the Prophet. Those who didn't do anything are ready to split it all up. You didn't even do nothing. So he goes back, they go back to the Prophet and they told him what happened. He's like, how'd you know this was a ruqya? How'd you know? In this narration, he doesn't say how he knew. Prophet's like, you did great. You did excellent. He's like, let me get some of that too. So why do you think he said, let me get some of that too? Just so they know without any doubt, it's halal for you. Because there was a doubt, right? There was a doubt. Wait, we just cured someone with Quran and took money for it. Um, is that halal? Like, there's a doubt. So the Prophet ﷺ wants them to know that, no, don't worry at all. He's like, yo, it's great, it's good. You know what? Give me some too. SubhanAllah. Look how the Prophet ﷺ is understanding how people think and he wants to eliminate all doubt. So he says, give me a piece of it too. SubhanAllah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Just watching his small movements, SubhanAllah, you fall in love with the Prophet ﷺ. Just looking at the smallest things that he did and seeing the wisdom in that, you fall in love with the Prophet ﷺ. So he says, فَقَدَ أَثَرَ هَذَا الدَّوَى he says, look, this cure, this Fatiha, Surah Fatiha, had a major effect on this disease and it took it away. He was like, it was as if it didn't happen at all. Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi now, he says, you know what? Something happened to me like this as well. I was living in Mecca for a time. 
I was getting sickness after sickness, but I couldn't find any doctors in Mecca at the time. And no medicine. Every time I got sick, I would use Fatiha. Read Fatiha and wipe it on himself. Read Fatiha, blow it on his leg. Read Fatiha, take, use Fatiha as the cure. And I've seen scholars use Fatiha as a cure for sickness by reading with it ikhlas and blowing on the place where the sickness is for that cure to happen. Or blowing on their hand and wiping it on the place where the sickness is. So he says, now pay attention to this. He says, وَلَكِنْ هُنَا أَمْرٌ يَنْبَغِي تَفَتٌ لَهُ He's like, but hold on, there's something you've got to be very careful about with this situation. He says, وَهُوَ أَنَّ الْأَذْكَارِ he says, all of the dhikrs, the ayat, the du'as, all of these things that are used as shifa and ruqya, in and of themselves, they are very powerful and effective. However, there is the, it necessitates qubul al-mahalla. The place which you're reading it has to be accepting of it. Meaning the, the, the subject or the object that you're reading these du'as on has to have qubul al-mahalla. It has to be open to the cure, ready to receive that, that cure. And waqwatil himmatil fa'il, in the one reading it, has to have strong himma, strong determination and resolve, and strong uh, surety in this fatiha. So two things are necessary for using fatiha as a ruqya. The person you're reading it on has to have a heart and, and a mind that's ready to accept that shifa. And the one reading it has to have pure sincerity and, and understanding that there's shifa in this. This is what Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi rahimahullah tells us. So he says, shifa." He's like, whenever the shifa doesn't come, you have to understand it's because of the weakness in the one reading it or the maf'ul, the one receiving it, is not letting themselves accept it or there's something blocking it. So he goes on and explains that, inshaAllah ta'ala. He says, فَكَذَارِكَ qalb." Similarly to the body is the heart. A lot of the, the sins that we have, remember, the main question was, I was stuck in a sin. So now he wants to turn it back and tell us, look at the heart again now, look at the qalb. He says, qalb. The Fatiha will work, the Quran will work as a shifa on you, as you read it and, and ask Allah for shifa, but the same two things have to happen. The qubul al-mahalla, the mahalla has to be accepting it, and the one reading it has to have that strength and yaqeen that there's a shifa in it. Okay, cool. Um, one more section, inshallah ta'ala. So he just explained that Quran is a shifa. He's done with that section. He now moves on to something which is extremely important for us to really connect to. He says, وَكَذَلِكَ dua." He says, and similarly, dua. فَإِنَّهُ مِنْ he says, dua is the aqwa asbab, the strongest, the strongest means for you to push away hardships and calamities and for you to pull in the matlub, the thing that you need, the thing that you want. Walakin, he goes, however, why aren't you seeing the effect of the dua? Walakin, anhu. Sometimes you don't get the effect. So the question is like, yo, I'm making heavy dua about this thing, but I'm not seeing the effect of it. Why is that? What's the issue? He says, Either the dua itself is weak. By that he says, meaning it's something that is not good. 
meaning it's a, it's a bad dua. You're making dua for something like straight up haram. Okay? So he's like, it's a, it's a weak dua, the first thing. Number two, This is very important. You know, sometimes, guys, we get into this really ritual, ritualistic type of ibadah, right? We bust out our four rakahs, right? You know, we, we raise our hands, and like, you know, your mind's, your mind's all over the place. So what he's saying here is, the, the, the key behind dua being effective is the strength of the heart making the dua. And what he means by strength, he actually means your amount of focus on that dua and how sincere you are at the time of making that dua. Everyone feeling me on this one, right? Okay, cool. He says, What the dua? Fayakunu, this is beautiful. He says, Fayakunu bi manziratil kausar rahwa jiddan. He's like, it's like a, a, a bow and arrow. But the qaws is weak. The bow is weak. So when you pull the arrow back and shoot, how far does the arrow go? Right there. Falls on the ground in front of you. Why? Because the, the, the qaws is weak. The qaws is the bow. You see the analogy? It's a beautiful analogy. As you strengthen the, the, the bow, the arrow goes further and farther and it hits its mark. But as the arrow gets, the bow gets weaker, no matter what you do, it's not going to hit that mark because the, the, the bow is too weak. So he says, it's just like a qaws that is really weak. In the saham, yakhruj minu khurujin ba'if. The arrow comes out and just falls on the ground like that. The, in this example, the arrow... The arrow is the, is the dua. And the amount of focus you have during that dua, and, and seriously, when you make dua, like come, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the one making dua. So it needs to be completely full attention, knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hearing me and, and begging for that thing. Like, give it to me, ya Allah, I want it. I want it, I, I want that thing. And... I'll tell you guys an incident that happened to me in this Hajj. For those whose all of their family members are Muslim, you don't know the value of just la ilaha illallah. You know, you lose a family member and it hurts you. It hurts you. It hurts you because you've lost them. But the comforting that you have inside is that I'm going to see them in Jannah. But a person whose family is not Muslim, there's a pain of eternal separation that goes through your mind. That not only am I losing you right now, but I've potentially, possibly lost you forever. Allah says the true loser is the one who loses their family on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Loses everything. So we're in Haram, okay? This year, we're in Haram. And I'm with um, Sidi Tamar Usman from Buffalo. Beautiful brother, mashallah. And I'm with uh, Sheikh Muhsin Najjar from UK. We go, we pray Maghrib in the Haram. We stayed there until Isha, prayed Isha in the Haram. And we were leaving, we're walking out the Haram. And Tamar tells Sheikh Muhsin that, you know, my mother hasn't said La ilaha illallah yet. That's what he tells him. Now, you know, La ilaha illallah, the Prophet ﷺ used to say to Abu Talib, just say La ilaha illallah, ashfa'u lak. 
Just say la ilaha illallah, I'll, I'll try my best. Last night, uh, uh, Imam Herbert read a hadith. Um, the, the Prophet Sallallahu said, Man, man qala la ilaha illallah dakhal al-jannah. Abu Zar radiallahu anhu said, wa inzana wa insariqa. Even if he does adultery and, and, and steals, and he said, wa insariqa wa inzana. Wa inzana wa insariqa. Even if he does that. So this la ilaha illallah is powerful, right? So as soon as Tamar tells uh, Sheikh Muhsin, who studied with the Haba'ib in Yemen, as soon as he tells him, he stops right in the hallway, he grabs our hands, he turns around towards Kaaba, and he's just making du'as, like hands in the air, and just like, like, it's called ilha in du'a, ilha. It's going to come later in the book. Alih fid du'a, alih fid du'a. Alih is like when my kid wants the, the tablet, and I'm not giving it to him, he does alih, he's like, oh, give it to me. You think like he's being like tortured. That's like alih fid du'a, like, I need it, it's just, he's going crazy. I'm like, yo, no. That's alih right there. <laughs> so, so Sheikh Mohsen is just making dua. And we're not in like a part for prayer. We're in the hallway of like, uh, you know, and people are just walking. Oh, who cares? You know, I'm not going to see you again ever in my life. So like, <laughs> we, we care too much what people think about us. Seriously, people you'll never see again. Like, I'm not going to see you again. Why do I care? Like, you can think whatever you want. I'm not going to see you ever in my life again. Right? So he's just making du'a, making, by this time, he's crying, I'm crying, people walking past crying. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, but no, we're seriously, we were, we, were, we were like, I was feeling it, right? So then, like, he stops the du'a, and he's like, you got your phone on you? I'm like, yeah. He's like, FaceTime your mom right now. Okay. Like, I, I have, you know, I'm like, yo, I've been taking time with this. I'm kind of, so I do it. No answer. No answer. I was kind of like relieved a little bit. <laughs> so then um, I had to go. I went back to hotel. I think I had dinner. And I was coming back, and I was walking through the courtyard of Haram outside to go to another room because Mufti uh, Abdurrahman Mangera was doing something. He had a program. I was trying to go see him. So as I'm walking through the courtyard, my mother calls me. My mother calls me, right? FaceTimes. So when I open the phone, I open it to the haram, right? I open it to the haram. And she immediately sees the entire haram. And she's taken aback by the beauty. And she's, 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 she's just like, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. So she says a statement, and I knew the door was open. She says, I want to come next year. So I said, Mom, I love you so much. Can you say one thing for me? Can you just say, La ilaha illallah? She says, okay, I'll say it. La ilaha illallah. And I translated it for her. Then something happened. We hung up the phone. A few minutes later, she texts me back. She's like, can you tell me that thing that you asked me to say again? And I'm like, okay. And I send it to her again. But I put the whole kalima this time. The whole thing. You know what else happened? So I, I ran to Sheikh Mohsen. Because when, when I left Sheikh Mohsen, the last thing he said, he's like, hey, so when she says, la ilaha call me up. That's what he said. Wallahi, that's what he said. He says, when she says it, call me. I saw him at breakfast that morning. I just kissed him. Just kissing him all over his hands, his face, everything. Because he literally, like, the dua was like, I'm calling Allah. I'm in haram. I'm, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves me. I'm a believer. Am I not going to take my problems to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? 
So he's telling us, so one more thing happened. There's a brother named Ahmed Tori in Baltimore. And I was making sincere dua for his mother to take shahada. Three, four days later after I told my incident, he messaged me. He's like, I don't know what happened. My mom just took shahada. I'm like, I, I texted my Hajj group. I'm like, yeah, make dua, yo. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this is real. Like, I had a higher level of realness with this. I'm like, this is no joke. So we, we uh, don't understand our connection with Allah. We, we, under, we think I'm a sinner. And this is what Shaytan loves to do. Shaytan loves to put your sins before you, between you and Allah. Shaytan loves to put your sins between you and Allah. Don't let Shaytan do that. Because there is no sin too big to stop you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Shaytan makes it look that way to you. Who are you to beg Allah? Who are you to make this dua? Say it's not me, it's Allah. You feel me? It's not me. Shaitan's like, who are you? The fallacy is, why are you looking at me, Shaitan? I'm looking at Allah. It's not about who I am. It's about the one I'm calling. And he hears an ant walking under a rock in the pitch black of the night. He hears an ant crawling. The Prophet said that. He hears an ant crawling. He's not going to hear me. So, so, so we all have these issues. All of us have things we're struggling with. Major things that to each of us is, is so large. And the question I ask you and myself is, why haven't you thrown that up? I have a good friend, uh, Muhammad. I, I'll call him, he's like, yo, I just threw it up for you. That's what he says, East Coast, no, whatever. He's like, I threw it up for you. You know what he's saying? It's done. He's like, done, it's done, dude. I threw it up. Can you imagine some voice like that? Like, yo, man, I need some help. Yo, I got you. I got you. Right? People say make dua. We go, inshallah, inshallah. <laughs> Not, yo, make dua. Like, seriously, like, ya Allah, this man needs help. Ya Allah, please help. And just make, open your heart for that dua. So, khair, inshallah. Um, so he says, he's talking about cures, right? Remember the question. The question was about being stuck in a sin. What does he say? Second thing, first thing was Quran is a shifa. Second thing he's saying is the strongest thing you have is dua with a heart that is strong and focused and is sincere in that dua. So he goes, he goes, He's like, but there also could be another problem. There can be a mani', something stopping acceptance. And he says, Min aqlil haram, like eating haram, like eating haram. It can stop the dua from being accepted. So you got to cut off. Do toba. Stop. Stop it right there. You do toba. It's done. So you got to do toba. And then he says, al and the rest of sins on the heart. So now you might be like, Yo, man, you just canceled me out right there. I mean, haram and I got sins. So like, you just basically said I can't make dua. No. It's toba. That's why the first step is toba. Toba means what? Repentance. That's the first step. You just turn around tonight. You're like, Ya Allah, I heard. Ya Allah, that's it. Once that's done, the reign of the the, uh, the rust of the sins is gone. Fahimtum. Sayyid. Subhanallah. Just a little bit more, inshaAllah. He says. 
Or the problem is, Ghafla has overcome you. Ghafla, heedlessness. Or you've just been overtaken by Ghafla. Ghafla is just a state of heedlessness. You're not even aware of what's going on. You're just so caught up in desires, you're not aware about the reality of life and, and your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, Kamathi Mustadik Hakim, the Prophet said, Udullah wa antum bil ijaba. Remember this hadith. The Prophet said, Call Allah in a way that you are 100% sure that it's accepted. Like the, the, you wrote the check. You wrote the check. It's done. Wa antum bil ijaba. So then he goes forward. We're going to uh, wrap this up just because of time, inshallah. Let me just read this last section. He says, He says, وَعْلَمُوا No. And Allah لَا يَقْبُلُ الدُّعَى مِنْ قَلْبٍ غَافٍ لَاهِ Allah does not accept the dua from a heart that is not focused on that dua. قَلْبْ غَافٍ لَاهِ It's just like you're just playing with dua. You know, your mind's not there. You know what I mean? You're, you're just making, you're just saying the words, but your mind's not there. فَهَذَا دَوَى نَعْفِعْ مَزِيلِ لِلْدَّعْ He's like, this is a cure that will take away the sickness. وَلَكِنْ غَفْلَةُ الْقَلْبِ عَنِ اللَّهِ but the ghafla, the heedless. Okay, I need everyone to really understand this word ghafla in this state. At the time of making dua, you are connected with the one who can answer every prayer and everything is easy for him. But at the time of making that dua, your mind is someone else, somewhere else, excuse me. That state of not being aware of who you're talking to is considered ghafla. So he's saying that at this point, the ghafla of your heart. Ghafla here means you're not aware of the one you're talking to. Your mind is not really recognizing who you're talking to at the time. He says it destroys the strength of that dua. Everyone understand? Next thing he says, he says, and it makes it weak. It, it takes away its power. Because there's a hadith which the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Ya nas, O people, la illa Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is tayyib. He only accepts the pure. He's pure. He only accepts the pure. Wa amra And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala ordered the mu'mineen, the same thing he ordered the, uh, the messengers, Ya ayyuhar rusulu kulu min at Allah says in the Quran, O you who believe, kulu min at Seriously though, one of the things that was beautiful to me accepting Islam was the dietary restrictions, seriously. Because you realize you are what you eat. Like we used to always say that, you are what you eat. The food you eat has an effect on you. And coming from Christianity, we used to read all these verses about, you know, this thing, this thing, this thing, but nobody was acting on it. Oh, that was gone. Jesus came. He's gone. You got to worry about it no more. Do everything. Right? But when you come to Islam and then you reattach re with that, tr that prophetic tradition to know, be careful what you put inside. I mean, we have people in our society that are so careful for other reasons about what they put inside, but here we have a spiritual, a deeper reason to be careful about what we put inside, but we don't care. You see what I'm saying? So the verse of Quran says, Yo, eat the pure things. 
and, and do righteous deeds. The scholars say the connection between righteous deeds is that when you eat pure, the righteous deeds come next. SubhanAllah. Then the Prophet ﷺ mentioned a person who's traveling, completely covered in dust, traveling for days. This person is in a completely disheveled state. He raises his hands to Allah. He says, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. His clothes are haram, his food is haram, his drink is haram. Rasulullah said, How can he be answered when he fed himself with haram? So here Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he's just reminding us the power of dua, and he's telling us, now look, let's go back, we're going to conclude right now, but let's go back to the original question. What do you say about a person stuck in a sin? who's tried everything to get out, but they can't get out of that sin. What do you say? Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, what does he say? First and foremost, for every dawa, da, there's a dawa, there's a cure. Number two, one of the most powerful cures is the Quran, whether it's physical or spiritual elements. Number three, what does he say? The next strongest thing you have is dua. The next strongest thing you have is dua. But be careful. You want the dua coming from a, a bow that's strong. And the strength is the amount of focus you have when you're making that dua. But there may be something that when that arrow leaves the bow, there's something that it hits before it hits the target and stops it. And what is that? Eating haram, consuming haram. So what's the solution for me and you? Tawbah. Tawbah. That's it. Tawbah, the one who seeks forgiveness, is as if there was no sins. Mentaba, like as if there is no sin remaining. And the thing is, shaitan continues, you know what the next thing is? Shaitan's like, man, you're going to be eating haram tomorrow. Why are you going to do toba tonight? Right? You know what I'm saying, right? You're going to do it tomorrow anyway, Mikael. So why are you fronting and doing toba tonight? When you're ready to change your life for real, for real, then listen to this podcast again. Nah, what's the fallacy there? Come on, we did this last class. Exactly. Shaitan is promising you that you got tomorrow. Allah never promised you tomorrow. You could do Toba tonight and not meet tomorrow. You go tomorrow, you clean. He's, he's telling you, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow. Allah never said you got tomorrow. Huh? Yeah, he's procrastinating you by promising you tomorrow. But tomorrow isn't promised. So, so think about it. He's telling you, why are you going to do Toba tonight when you're going to do this in tomorrow? The reply is, that's a fallacy, Shaitan, because I wasn't promised tomorrow. And if I do it tomorrow, guess what? Toba. See, we don't realize like the mercy of Allah. Because me and you, if someone ripped me off like twice, I'm done. I'm not doing business with you no more. You know what I'm saying? I'm done, no more. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like, if you do the same sin 70 times a day and ask Toba 70 times, Allah's like, I got you. Got you. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq, inshaAllah. I am looking forward. This is just the beginning. I'm really looking forward uh, to going through this book with y'all, inshaAllah ta'ala. Um, so our class, class number two, inshaAllah, will be uh, next Wednesday, inshaAllah, uh, 7.30. There won't be any pizza like there was this time because we won't be fasting. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, you know, somebody could hook it up. I don't know. Allah, inshaAllah. But will there, there will be tea, though, right? Nashad, yo. Faduma. He was on point, yo. Zakla khair. Alhamdulillah. 
I'm, I'm still going to drink it. I didn't get, get to it yet. I'm going to drink it, inshallah. <coughs> Sayyid, any questions, inshallah ta'ala? <coughs> any questions? Social media? I'm not coming back to Baltimore, no. <laughs> any any questions? We're good? All right, let's pray. Yes, yes. If you on purpose eat haram, you're not doomed, let alone accidentally. Doomed, would, I would say, is a signal of that where we gave up hope. So, so again, we have to factor in Toba. The question is, if you eat haram, do your du'as not get accepted? I mean, there are some narrations that uh, to tell us about the effect of eating haram stays in your body uh, for some time. You know, like um, it stays; the residue of that stays and for some time until it's purified out. Um, but at the same time, spiritually, um, there's no closing the door of Toba to that, right? There's no closing that door of Toba. Uh, to that thing. And what I would say is if a person is consciously, knowingly uh, eating haram, right, then um, just start doing tawbah, that's it. Recog See, the first thing is just recognize the sin. What many of us do, we don't just, we don't want to recognize that, that it's a sin in the first place. Um, but there's a pr so many eyes uh, of Quran and so many hadith that is very important in our spiritual relationship with Allah to first rectify what we're eating and recognize the sin. And Realize that yes, I'm a sinner. Someone has this sin to deal with. Other person has this sin to deal with, right? So I'm just gonna do toba for that thing. But I wouldn't say doomed. Nah, there's. I think there's always. I mean, but you don't know, right? There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yo, that's 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 the post. That's the post in the that conversation's in the lounge later, bro. That yo, that's the post. That's the post joint. That's the post joint. Exclusive. Yes, Nashat. But I really want everyone to focus on what the author was mainly focusing on, not just this last part about eating halal and uh, eating halal. That is important for sure, no doubt. But understand that for every sickness that there is, there's a cure there, and we need to recognize what those cures are. And one of them is that strength of that bow when we're making that dua. That is something I really want everyone to connect with and realize that is very important. Yes? That doesn't matter. It's okay. I mean, because think of it this way. Nashad, think of it this way. The question is, um, for those listening, the question is someone is make, asking you to make dua, but they themselves are not uh, making a dua for themselves or acting towards that thing. As long as you making that dua, the angels are making that same dua for you. The, 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 dawa, the dua of a person behind their back is one of the strongest du'as to make. So definitely, I think we gotta make du'a for each other. Even that person that you say is not helping themselves, they're the one that needs it more. You know, that's the one you really should be making du'a for. You know what I'm saying? Okay, inshallah. Any other questions? All right, so um, we'll pray Salatul Isha, and then um, we ask everyone to kick it for a bit, chill out, 
you know, don't just leave if, you, if you're not in a rush. Chill out a bit and uh, meet each other. Like I said, a lot of people come from different parts to study here. Um, so it's fellowship, right? Like one of the things we, we do is we come to a halakha and we dip out, right? But a lot of people are looking for fellowship. And fellowship is very important for keeping our iman strong. Obviously, you got to go. You got to go. I'm just saying. But um, it's very important for fellowship. Some people are looking for brothers and sisters to chill with and just kick it with and good company. And what we do normally is we come to a halakha, we come to the masjid, we just dip out. And people don't get that ability to bond and stuff like that. So we're going to pray salat al-isha right now. And then after that, we're going to um, chill a bit on campus, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik, ishadu ala ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruhu wa atubu ilayk. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati ya yasifun, wa salamun alal mursaneen, walhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, guys.